Rolling. Fratelloni's Hardware and Garden Stores brings you Garage Logic Podcast number 1166, October 6, 2023. 87 degrees on this day in 2007, and 25 degrees on this day in 1873. Hail the flashlight king! And now, from the mayor's office above the boathouse on the east shore of Spoon Lake, it's Garage Logic with Chris Reavers, Manning Technology Corner, Kenny Olson from the Krabby Coffee Shop, John Height in the newsroom, and of course, the rookie. Here is your flashlight king, fireworks commissioner, and the keeper of common sense, your mayor, Joe Sushir. I can't be more... Pleasantly surprised that we have Garrison Keeler with us in the studio. You can be if a beautiful, tall, long-legged woman walked in. You would be thrilled. So would I. Yeah, but I'm like you. I don't want to know them in the workplace. Okay. <laughs> We've never met, which is hard to believe after 40 years of your residence in St. Paul. We've never met in person. I know you better from your column than I know many of my friends because my friends... They're, 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 they suffer from Minnesota reticence. Mm-hmm. You don't. I haven't lately, no. You've been more cheerful lately. I'm trying to get over, I'm trying to get over my Puritan upbringing. You lived in St. Paul for 40 years. 40-some, yeah. And, and you did Prairie Home for 40 years, if not longer. 40-some, yeah. And then you left St. Paul. I did. You went to Minneapolis. I'm sorry. I know you should be. <laughs> what what compelled that? What compelled that? Um, downsizing, for one thing. We had an enormous house on Summit Avenue, which I loved. And my wife, who really was responsible for most of the work around the place, and she had to consult with contractors and plumbers and electricians, she was tired of it. I had spent so many years on the road doing a prayer home that I really owed it to her to follow her inclinations. And so I have, and I recommend this policy to you and to, mm-hmm. and to other men. I moved to Minneapolis because she wanted to live in an apartment. And, um, and then I moved to New York because she... Uh, because she loves New York, so that's where I am. But I miss St. Paul. You, uh, from a media perspective, you you pretty much owned the town. You certainly owned the newspaper. You couldn't sneeze without getting a story in the Pioneer Press. Oh, that town. Oh, I thought you meant Lake Wobegon. Yes, I do own Lake Wobegon. Yes, you do. The paper, the Lake Wobegon Herald Star, edited by Herald Star. (laughs) And... uh, and uh, but you know I I uh, I'm surprised from time to time when I go see Lake Wobegon that they've they've departed from my narrative arc. Mm-hmm. I've been wanting to use the term mar- narrative arc on your show, and now I have. <laughs> you uh, you are uh, you are continuing to surprise me. I never thought that you'd agree to be interviewed by me. I don't know why you would think that. Well, I told Rookie before the show that all of the times I've written about you, perhaps I was uh, I was overanalyzing it. Maybe you never even read the times I've written about you. 
No, I, I, I recall. Yeah. But, but that's your, but that's your job. Mm-hmm. Your job is to is to poke, and uh, and you and you're very good at it. Um, but 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 I've given up poking, mm-hmm. and uh, I went to my high school reunion up in Anoka, and I was trying to assure these 81 year old classmates that being 81 is the occasion for cheerfulness. Which is the title of your new book? It is, and I read the uh, I read the first chapter, which is available now, and uh, you have an extraordinarily cheerful outlook. Are you at peace with life? I think so. I think so. As close as I have come so far, um, I like living in New York. I like being anonymous. I like walking down the street and looking at people. I I get up around 4.30 every morning, and I sit and I write. Mm-hmm. I love writing a twice-weekly column, 750 words. Mm-hmm. I, I think I've written my last novel, uh, but I love writing 750 words. Mm-hmm. And uh, I sat down 4.30 this morning in the hotel, and... Uh, and I wrote my 750 words. You no longer maintain a residence here. No, no. I think I'm still registered to vote, but I've got to change that. New mm-hmm. York does not really need one more Democrat. No, uh, they don't. But I guess that's, you know, that's where I'll be. How can, how can you possibly be anonymous in New York? You're distinctive looking. I'm distinctive in all the wrong ways. Well, you're still distinctive looking. <laughs> but I'm, I live on the Upper West Side, and uh, it was, um, it, I always thought of it as a Jewish neighborhood, and, and it's still, it still is. You run into a lot of teachers, social workers, a lot of shrinks. Mm-hmm. There's, there are two shrinks every block. But you walk down the street and you hear a great deal of Spanish, and there's a large uh, influx of Asians, I think Chinese, maybe they're Korean. And you walk out into Central Park, and there's French everywhere. Mm-hmm. I go to an Episcopal church, which was formed from uh, a combination of an Episcopal church and an African Methodist Episcopal church. And I love this church. There's a large number of of black families who go way back in this church. So we don't have to talk about diversity. Mm-hmm. It's you know? there. Huh? It's there. Well, diversity is a fact. It doesn't, in my way of viewing it, it has no inherent value. It's just a fact. It is a fact. Yeah. I think it has value. Yeah. You mentioned you can't walk a block without the number of shrinks. Have you ever needed one? I have never gone. I gave up alcohol in 2002 because I was afraid I might need to go into therapy. Mm-hmm. And I was afraid I might have to go to AA and sit in the basement of a church, you know, on folding chairs <laughs> with a bunch of other sad men talking about our emotionally distant fathers. And uh, rather than go through that, I just put it away. I was, I was uh, with my wife. We were on a cruise. Uh, we went up to Alaska, 
And I woke up in the morning and said, that's the end of it. Hmm. Well, good for you. Well. Was your father emotionally distant? Of course he was. Mm-hmm. Why, were all men? He went, through the, he went through the depression. Right. He was in the war. He didn't fight, but he, he might have. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came back and built a house on an acre of Brooklyn Park and uh, garden and uh, worked two jobs to support six children. I mean, should he be held responsible for my self-esteem? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Were you close to him? No, okay. no, no. The, the older, my oldest brother was, and the younger kids were, but I was an invisible middle child, mm-hmm. and uh, that's how it worked out. Were you close to your mother? All children are close to your mother. Your mother worries about you. She worries constantly. But uh, being the middle child back then... Before cell phones, you know, there was no way for them to keep track of us. She was not a hugger, but she said she patted you. She yes. Was, she was a patter. Yes, she was. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a, I can be a patter. Mm-hmm. Did I pat you when I walked no, in? No, you did not, sir. I you shook to. my hand. Yeah. I meant to. I'm yeah. a hugger, so I'm going to hug you on the way out, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I want to return to St. Paul. Yes. Were you, you prevailed for so long. I didn't prevail at all. I struggled. Uh, how did you struggle? Every, every day was a struggle. I was never meant to be a performer. I was brought up fundamentalist. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I went into an alien line of work. My goal... Starting in the eighth grade, my goal was to write for the New Yorker magazine. Mm-hmm. It never was to stand on a stage and uh, do stand-up. How did that happen? You have to earn a living. I published uh, a piece in the New Yorker in 1969, and uh, the, I think they paid me $500 for it, which was good money. That's a lot of money. But I, I had a child. My son was born that spring, and I had to get work. And I went up to St. John's University, and they had a radio station up there. They offered me the early morning show. I was the only applicant, I discovered later. (laughs) And on that basis, I was hired. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and the, the Prairie Home evolved, I take it. Yes. Yeah. Out of an early morning show, early morning is prime time in radio. And I would drive in from, I lived out near Freeport, Minnesota, on a farm, a rented farmhouse. And uh, you could see lights coming on mm-hmm. at 5 a.m. And an English major knew that your job now was to entertain these people and was not to engage them in serious, introspective thoughts, you know, about about the narrative arc. And... Uh, there you got it in again, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, so of just out of this simple urge to be useful, you, uh, you, you get into entertainment, telling stories and, uh, and being lighthearted. Did did the characters of Lake Wobegon begin to become evident to you on that morning radio show? This was a non-commercial station, 
And so I invented sponsors ah. because I had grown up listening to uh, Steve Cannon mm-hmm. on CCO. And, uh, and, and it's, it just seemed natural to me for there to be sponsors. So I invited um, Jack's Auto Repair, all tracks lead to Jack's, and <laughs> Ralph's Pretty Good Grocery. If you can't find it at Ralph's, you can get along without it. And uh, powder milk biscuits and all this Big whole, blue box, right? Yeah, all this whole, this whole gallery. And, uh, and the soap? The soap. Wasn't there a soap? Sponsors Was there well? soap? I don't think so. Okay, I don't maybe think I got into soap. In St. Paul, you had one. I can see where you might have struggled when the when you uh, the paper heralded your return from Europe. You lived in Europe for a time. Denmark. Yeah. Denmark. Yeah. And you came back in the St. Paul paper, and I actually defended you in this case. They printed your address. Oh. You don't remember that? Hmm. <laughs> no, I don't. And you accused me of prowling around in your garage upon the occasion of your address having been printed. It was in the Minneapolis-St. Paul magazine that a big piece on you. And uh, I had to point out that I I don't think I ever did that. No. I know. In in fact, I I know I never did that. I think you drove by twice. (laughs) (laughs) He was tracking you. He was tracking you. (laughs) I wish you had knocked on the door. I wish I I would have invited you in. Uh, yeah, it feels like way too many years have passed since we've met, since without knowing each other. Mm. Too many years. I've admired your work. I've had a great deal of fun with it over the years, but I've admired it. Well, I admire yours. You turn out a sentence as well as anybody. Well, I appreciate that. And sometimes a paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> I always try to have one sentence that no one else could have. Good. Yeah. Good. When you uh, when you moved to Minneapolis, you uh, you took some wonderful shots at St. Paul. Hmm. Uh, you were afraid uh, to be. You would. You could understand how people would be afraid to be seen in St. Paul for fear that people might think they lived there. And you, you took great umbrage at St. Paul. In, in Minneapolis, you found it to be the center of cultural heightened awareness. In I don't think I ever did I can read it to you. It's your own words. I, huh? I was reading it this morning. Yeah. Is this, am I under oath? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But I, uh, you, you spent so much time in St. Paul, and then you, was it easy for you to dismiss St. Paul? No, no, but my my life in St. Paul is full of personal missteps. Mm-hmm. And when you live to be this long, and I do hope to go on, <laughs> but when you live this long, you're very aware of them. I, a marriage ended mm-hmm. in St. Anthony Park. Uh, I lived uh, on Summit. I moved out to Marine on St. Croix. I mean, it's a whole series of misadventures. I quit the show, which was a disastrous decision. I, I, I married on the basis of, you know, a teenage romance, married an exchange student from Denmark. And that, and that was a difficult, difficult road. So... When I go back to St. Paul, I remember 
these things. But, you know, I, I also remember wonderful times. I remember uh, shooting a movie with Robert Altman at the Fitzgerald Theater mm -hmm. and my watching him direct what turned out to be the last scene he ever directed was directing Kevin Klein to walk out of Mickey's Diner mm. and strike a match and light a cigarette and walk across uh, a rain-soaked street. And the diner was set up to look like that hopper painting right. of the diner. And he worked, I think, three hours on that scene and he was so happy. I never saw him. He loved making that movie. Mm. Radio days were speaking movie, of. Right. But, but, but he loved making that movie. It was so wonderful to watch uh, Altman. And then he died, you know, right. a, a year after that. In, in radio days, you had references to a long, snaking, steep hill in St. Paul. Do you recall that at all? A which? A who? A, a long, snaking, winding downhill street in St. Paul. It had to be Snelling. I, I don't know why that stuck with me. I just wanted to ask you about it. Where a car hits a tree, yeah. if I remember right. I wonder if I wasn't thinking of that uh, street. What's the name of it? That snakes down from Crocus Hill down to West Sevens. That's just a straight hill. Is it? Yeah, the one on Snelling is a winding, curving deposit yeah. down to 7th Street. Snelling was not my part of town. No, no. No. You uh, you certainly were let go ignominiously by Prairie Home Companion, or MPR. I thought it was uh, a, a dreadful way for a guy that had given your longevity to that show. <clears throat> I thought it was a bad way to go. It happens in... I associate with corporate America, not with public radio. Mm-hmm. But, but it happens. A new regime comes in, and they erase the past. Uh, they not only erased me, but more profoundly, they erased Bill Kling, mm -hmm. who built that station from the ground up, mm -hmm. drove around Minnesota looking for places to put relay towers, and who brought together... Catholic Lutheran uh, institutions to create a network. He made that place, and they turned their back on him. Mm. But your show uh, had uh, an overwhelmingly powerful impact on American culture. It was a big deal, whether you want to now admit it or not. It was I a don't big. Admit, I was, don't. I plead innocent to the that. big deal. It was a big deal. Oh, and and to Some have it end like. That was just extraordinary to me. You got caught up in the Me Too movement. The Me Too movement was a, a noble movement uh, to suppress male bullying of women, mm -hmm. and which no doubt took place. But my run-in was not, was not that. It was a shakedown. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, instigated by... Uh, an employee of NPR who was fired and not given, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Severance? Severance, thank you. Yes. Severance. Um, 
because he because he was a freelance, and uh, so he devised this scheme, and uh, and he lined up two women who were friends of mine, longstanding, and uh, he promised them a million dollars, and uh, uh, just a classic shakedown, and uh, so that's how that transpired. But but NPR, you know threw me out the door. But so what? It was five years ago. And uh, cancellation has its, uh, its real benefits. I had a job. I was given a job in 2016 by the Washington Post. And Jeff Bezos pays very, very well. Mm-hmm just to write one column a week. But it was on the opinion page, the worst place you could possibly be to pretend to be tuned into Washington. And uh, it wasn't the sort of... But but thanks to the Me Too thing, they fired me. And so I was free. I was set free. I was set free in other ways, too. And, uh, and I started... Writing. I wrote uh, two novels. I wrote. Uh, I wrote two books about the glory of getting old, and um, and I'm at work on a wonderful collection of of uh, verse of poems, and uh, so it's been a busy, busy, wonderful five years. You didn't like your early poetry, I've read. Well, it still was under the influence of the English department, you know. And it, <laughs> yes. And it set out to be mysterious. And, you know, I came from a generation, uh, people in my generation uh, needed to be hip. Some of us did. I went to hear the, the Grateful Dead. Uh, where did they play? They played at a ballpark. Well, they played at Metropolitan Sports Stadium, the hockey arena is where I saw them. It's hard to believe we might have been there the same evening. (laughs) I thought the Rolling Stones They played played there as well. They did? Okay. All right. No, I went to to hear them. The the Dead might have played uh, Midway Stadium. I think so. Yeah. I think so. There are a lot of people sitting on grass, I do remember that, and smoking it as well. (laughs) And... uh, and I remember them singing uh, in the attics of my life, full of full of dreams, uh, dreams, dreams. You know, taste no tongue can tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, when there was no ear to hear, you sang to me. I mean, that was that was profound to me mm-hmm. back in 1970. But uh, a man of 81 should not be writing like that. Did you fear becoming 81 at some point? I'm sure I did. I'm sure I did. But my, my uh, grandfathers died out in the early 70s because they didn't believe in medicine. And uh, my mother lived to be 97. And, uh, and that, that, that looked pretty good mm-hmm. to me. Was she pleased with your accomplishments? I think that she was. She didn't, you know, she didn't say much about it. But um, she, I took her to the premiere of the Altman movie at the Fitzgerald, 
and she sat next to Carl Polad, mm-hmm. my mother, <laughs> and she was kind of proud. Mm-hmm. And uh, Meryl Streep was there and uh, kissed my mother on the cheek. My mother didn't know who she was because we were fundamentalists. We didn't go to movies. Right. Oh, wow. But she knew she was somebody. <laughs> so. When the show, when you were let go, you, you, did you feel relief immediately or, or did you miss aspects of the show that took you a while to get over? I felt it was a mistake to quit the show. And uh, it was hard work. And so you have to forgive yourself for letting your weariness come to a point where you take that step. But it was a, but it was a mistake. And uh, so I regret that. Uh, the letting go was, you know, just kind of an afterthought. The show is now back on the road. In limited... A, ver- a version of it, yeah. yes. Is it called Prairie Home Companion? A Prairie Home Companion. Do you 50th own that title? Do you own that? I'm sure I do, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Because what replaced you, you with something? That, no. <laughs> you want to buy a, Garage Logic? It's a Mona Logic? Lisa title. <laughs> yeah, it is. There's one. It's only one of a kind, so there's no way to assess the that's, value... That's right. ...of that, of that <laughs> title. It's oh. like Trump Tower. <laughs> it has I no value. You, you, you don't run into Trump very often, do you? I don't think I ever have. No. 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 You don't want to either, do you? I, do, I don't care. Yeah. But he doesn't go to New York very often unless under indictment. <laughs> and uh, right. he's not especially popular no. in New York. No. No. I, I was reading that you, uh, other than writing... You don't have many passions, do you? I'm married to a wonderful woman, and she is, uh, and she is uh, my passion to uh, to make her happy. Mm-hmm. And uh, what else do I? What else do I have? Well, you don't collect cars. You're not a golfer. You don't. No. Uh... I golfed at Columbia Golf Course. I think when I was in my mid thirties. And I thought to myself, I don't want to spend three hours doing this every week. Mm-hmm. And and I was right. I don't regret that. The and uh, your your view of exercise is rather novel. That you you don't particularly care for it, and your exercise consists of reaching for things on high shelves. <laughs> <laughs> My exercise now is walking back and forth on a stage. Yeah, but uh, no, I don't. I don't. I was in gym class at Anoka High School, and uh, our gym teacher, Stan Nelson, made us do the rope climb, the chin-up, and the running dive over the horse Mm -hmm. onto the wrestling mat to make a forward somersault. And that cures you of any urge to (laughs) do exercise. Did Anoka seem very rural when you were in high school, when you were a kid? I loved it. I yeah. loved it. My family, I have a big family up in Anoka. Everywhere there were cousins and aunts and uncles. I was very wealthy with with relatives, so I felt very much at home there. And after I flunked my physical to go out for football, 
I got a job writing for the Anoka Herald mm-hmm. on 2nd Street across the street from the junior high school. And my classmates on their way to buy ice cream at the Anoka Dairy would look across the street and see me sitting in the front window at an Underwood typewriter writing sports stories. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the king of the hill. <laughs> and you, you suggest that that was the beginning of your fiction writing. <laughs> <laughs> it was a mediocre team, but I made them as good as I could. Oh, you made them valiant, didn't you? you no, yeah. no. No, I sat up in the press box, thank God, because I knew nothing about football. But there were two announcers there from Kano Radio. And uh, so I just listened very closely to what they had to say, and they were my material. Was your dad a carpenter? He worked for the railway mail service, okay. sorting mail on the mail car, uh, but, he, but he did carpentry freelance as well. He built our house from the, from the ground up in 1947, mm-hmm. built a, poured the concrete, built a basement. We lived in it while he built the house over our heads. Mm. How, much of, how much of Anoka is in Lake Wobegon? Not much. Anoka, Anoka became a suburb and, and, and really was dependent and and uh and Northern Pump was up there and there were some big factories there. So I don't I don't think I picked it up from Anoka. I tried to base it a little bit on Freeport, Avon, Albany, where there was uh, a, a substantial Catholic population. I wanted to have Catholics in my town. And Lutherans, of course. Why Catholics? Because it's an alien culture. (laughs) (laughs) Easy to pick up. The idea idea of praying to saints, I think, is something picked up from the Romans and and Aztecs. And so when I go into St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York, I don't do this often, but when I do, I'm just absolutely astonished. You like the church? St. Patrick's? I'm an Episcopalian. No, I understand. Yes. You're a wasp. Well, if you understand, you're doing better than I am. (laughs) Well, I don't understand it uh, metaphysically. I just understand that you would enjoy St. Patrick's. It's a lovely church. It is in its own way. It's a lovely church, but it has this feeling of of Catholic peasantry uh, coming in and putting their forehead on the marble right. by the statue and asking the saint to, you know, cure their pancreatitis. <laughs> and, uh, and this is something that led my people to start the Reformation. Do you believe in heaven? I do. I do. I don't know what it's like. I have no idea. Do you believe in hell? Uh, I try to. Mm-hmm. I try to. I write about it, but I don't. I don't have any direct insight into it. I can't help you there. You're writing the column. Are you going to do any more? You th- you think you're done with novel writing? Oh yeah, yeah. Because of what? Does it take too much time? It's not as much fun. Oh, it's not as much fun. I sit down at four thirty in the morning, and I. I have a vague idea 
I've just gotten out of bed. I've just made coffee. I'm sitting in a dark room at a computer, and I have a vague idea, and I come up with a first sentence. And the way that first sentence is a searchlight that takes you into mm-hmm. into the into what you the first page, the second page, and a, and another half page is just it's just uh, delightful. Mm-hmm. I don't find writing novels delightful because they're never good enough. Mm-hmm. They're never good enough. They're never finished. Have you tried to read Moby Dick lately? Not lately, but no. I've tried to read it. Yes, I have too. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was happy with it. I don't think he was happy when he began it. Yeah. Are you happy? I am. I am from time to time. I was really delighted when the twins beat Toronto. That was and, fun. Uh, and, uh, and, they, and they beat them thanks to Toronto pulling a pitcher that was, had us baffled. He threw 45 pitches. <laughs> 47. 47. And... Uh, and, uh, and and they pulled him, saving him for next year, I guess. I, and all the twins looked at each other, have, uh, entirely happy with this decision. <laughs> <laughs> yep. What's your view out your writing window in New York? What do you look upon? I look at a wall. Oh. Of another building? No, no, no. I, I, the, win- the windows are off to my side. I don't ah. want to look out the window. But... Um, I write until, you know, 7, 7.38, and then I get up and take a walk. I, I, I can't... I, I would think you'd want something more bucolic. I would think you'd want to live where you could look out and see Lake Wobegon like countryside. Lake Wobegon is, uh, is not a place where I could live. Uh, I... I I, I talked about it. I wrote about it for years, but I but I wrote about it knowing for sure that other people knew much more about this than I did. And my writing about rural Minnesota was like my writing about uh, chemistry or physics. Mm-hmm. It was alien territory. Mm-hmm. I, I was faking it, and uh, and I did it fairly well, but I'm not proud of that. What are you not proud of? The faking part. The faking part. I think I, I think I missed out on a lot, and um, but I'm but I still do the news from Lake Wobegon. I go out and I do a solo show. I do two hours. The first part is you know this and that and the other thing, and then. We do a singing intermission, and then I say it's been a quiet week from Lake Wobegon. And the crowd erupts at that point, don't they? The crowd applauds, and so I launch into it. And now I talk about funerals. Mm -hmm. And the funerals, I'm I'm killing off the characters I invented one by one, and I'm doing their funerals. And that, I think... Is is better than is better than talking about their children and their 
and they're and fishing. I know nothing about fishing. Mm-hmm. Hunting, I've never hunted in my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I never really, I never really experienced tavern life. Mm-hmm. It just, I, 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 you know, I sat and drank at home, and uh, so I, I, I was not equipped to do the writing I did, but, but people seemed to like it, so I did. Well, you had to be pleased with your imagination. I, I'm not pleased at all. Really? No. Well, it, what the hell? It worked for 40 years. <laughs> it worked superbly for 40 years. Donald Trump has been successful for 40 years. Is he proud of it? No. I got a, I got a bet with you that he doesn't have... I, you and I combined have more money than he does. I don't think he has a nickel. <laughs> I don't think he has a nickel. Really? You always say it's been a quiet week in Lake Wobegon. Mm-hmm. Has there ever been a loud week in Lake Wobegon? I'm sure. I'm sure there has, but it's but it's the right introduction for for a monologue in which most of the time not all that much happens. But I did um, I did uh, recently introduce uh, an embezzlement. Oh my. A Lutheran Sunday school teacher named Mildred Nordberg left town, uh, who was a teller at the First Inkvist State Bank. <laughs> and she left with a quarter million dollars and she moved to Buenos Aires oh to my. a neighborhood where a great many Midwestern women bank tellers have, have settled. <laughs> And uh, and that and that got people's attention. You know? I think it would. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can see when you, see, you all you need is the first sentence. Oh yeah. Your searchlight, and then off you go with Mildred ending up in Buenos Aires. Yeah, but I had to kill her off, you know. Right. <laughs> and uh, and I also gave her a child six uh, six and a half months after leaving with the money. She gave birth to a child. Mm-hmm. So she, she'd had a child by the son of Yalmer Inkvist. And, uh, and so it wasn't just embezzlement, it was child support. <laughs> <laughs> of course it was. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but the wonderful part was the funeral. After they came back and I was supposed to do the eulogy and they assigned me to do the 23rd Psalm instead and they were going to scatter her ashes out on the lake. And I repeated the final scene from a favorite monologue uh, that I made into a novel, Pontoon. Mm-hmm. And it's a complicated scene involving two boats that collide and a man on water skis with a parasail carrying the ashes and a hot oh. air balloon coming over. <laughs> It's a complicated scene. It really is. And the audience recognized what I was doing, Mm -hmm. and they just fell apart. (laughs) They just fell apart that I was stealing from myself. (laughs) Aren't you allowed to? I would think so, but... I was walking on uh, Summit Avenue one day, and this was when you lived in that beautiful white... Was the old Weyerhaeuser house, wasn't it? The old Weyerhaeuser. Yeah, and uh, a woman approached me and said, Do you know, uh, stopped me and said, Do you know where Garrison Keeler lives? And she was a young woman, uh, 
And I said, I do. And I pointed. I was, I was a block away. I said, it's that big white house there. And she said, well, I'm going to go knock on his door. I want to meet him. I'm, a, I'm in the country music business. Mm. I don't know if you... You've probably had many people approach you to be on your show, but I warned her. I said, watch out. He's a mean old bear. <laughs> and, and she kind of laughed at that, and off she went. And uh -huh. I, to this day, I wonder what that led to. I wonder if she was a, a budding star that ended up on the show, I wonder. Yeah. So what was her talent? I believe she was a singer. Oh. Yeah. Well. You didn't get her name? I, I, if I did, I don't remember. This was years ago, uh -huh. and it was in the winter, uh -huh. and it was as though she had just gotten off a bus, and she had winter boots on and a big mm. overcoat, and she was determined to go find you. She had not met you before. This would be a great story. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. There's only one piece missing. Yeah. Yes, but you have, you probably had a butler or something who, who would answer your door. I answered my own door. Thank okay. you very much. Yeah, right. <laughs> a butler? <laughs> well, the key Jeez. question is, was this yeah. before or after you were rummaging through his trash, butler, Joe. Maybe, yeah. Joe, he's from Minnesota. No, he doesn't I'm, have a butler. I'm, I was kidding. I, I, I'm aware of that. Uh, in any event, for all I know, she's been on your show. I, I don't know. I don't think so. Okay. Have you enjoyed the musical aspects of that show as much as anything? I enjoyed uh, some of it. I, 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 I liked, I had sympathy for people who were trying to, trying to make a living in a very difficult business. I had sympathy for young bluegrass bands nickel creek i was mm -hmm. so happy when when they really started to kick in i think that uh uh i think that uh, david rawlings and uh, and gillian welch were fabulous talents i was very proud of having greg brown mm -hmm. on the show for years from iowa city and uh he was such a beautiful songwriter I had fun. I had fun with a lot of people. I got to sing a duet with Renee Fleming. Mm -hmm. And uh, what did we do? I should remember this. Uh, I don't know, some old, some old love song. Gene uh, Redpath, Scottish singer, was a great beauty. We had uh, Helen Schneier, who was a Jewish social worker from Washington, D.C., who could sit down at the piano and just play the hell out of gospel music. Mm -hmm. She was a great gospel singer, not a believer, but, <laughs> uh, but wow, did she go at it. They were, they, were, they were great. As a fundamentalist, did you listen to rock and roll as a teen? I did. I did, secretly, of course. Yeah. I loved Buddy Holly. I was... Absolutely astonished when he died down in Clear Lake, Iowa, mm -hmm. 1969, 59. 59. And, uh, and I still have not gotten over it. Uh, I loved uh, the Stones, the Beatles, Grateful Dead. I loved all those people. And now I don't know anybody, mm -hmm. <laughs> anybody on the pop charts. Do you approve of social media? I do, in, uh, reluctantly. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think that uh, it's useful for keeping far-flung families uh, together. And uh, I, enjoy, 
I enjoy posting, uh, but I don't spend much time reading it. I try, I try not to be dependent on it. I, I try to hold conversations, you know, like the one we're having now. I'm doing pretty well at this, aren't I? I think you are doing very well. <laughs> I think we're carrying on a, a very civil discussion for two Midwestern men. <laughs> <laughs> and I continue to be astonished. I, I, uh, I email, I've emailed you in the past asking you to come on. You never did. Yes, I did. You never did. Well, I don't know how to you find those. You had the those. wrong address. You misspelled my name. I probably did. I, I don't know how to find those old emails, but I can, I, and it wasn't for Rookie running into you at the airport, we might have never gotten together. That was wonderful. That was very fortuitous. Mm -hmm. Will you come back? I don't back? know what he was doing at the airport. <laughs> he, he, I don't know either. None trying of to get do. out of working. <laughs> trying to get out of working. Will you, you only came back for the reunion. Class of what, about 1929? Close. Yeah. Close. <laughs> will you come back for other reasons? Will you, uh, will you always consider this home? I come back uh, because I love to... I love to walk around, and mm -hmm. uh, and I and I and I have friends. I have friends here. Friendship is what it's all about. It's what it's always been about, and uh, and now you know some of them are are in a certain degree of distress. My old friend George Latimer, yes, uh, you know, has been in and out of hospice. They keep kicking him out of hospice, and, right? And he's uh, still chugging along. I like to see him, talk to him. I have musician friends. So I come back when my, when my wife uh, wants to come back. She plays, um, she plays viola in the Minnesota Opera Orchestra. Why do I, th is her name Jenny Lind? Jenny Lind. Well, today in your author's, your writer's almanac, it's the birthday of soprano Jenny Lind. Yes. Is she named for that soprano? Indeed. Her, uh, her father was uh, loved opera. He was uh, a clerk of district court in Anoka, but he had been a music major, and he, and he could sit and listen to classical music, Sibelius especially, and sit there and weep. Mm. I... I, I admired him so much for this depth of his feeling, and so he named her for, for the soprano. He was Swedish. I did not know she was from Anoka. She was. She grew up on Rice Street in Anoka, but she, uh, she aspired to become uh, a professional freelance musician, and she left for the East, I think, around the age of 17. So she shed Anoka pretty quickly. Have you? I don't know. That's a good question. I, uh, I, I have a lot in a cemetery up there. I go, <laughs> I go up uh, do, do now visit, and then. Do you and, visit your lot? Huh? Do you visit your lot? Yes. Okay. To so make sure it's not occupied. <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, cousins up there. I feel very close to, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, I feel very close to my cousins and uh, even ones I, I haven't been close to for years. I, I, I always feel that we're all on the verge of becoming, of becoming friends. And uh, so I, I have a family 
connection. The town itself is a little. I don't. I don't recognize it. It's it's grown. It's become a suburb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does it unnerve you to be placed in the uh, same sentence as F. Scott Fitzgerald and Sinclair Lewis? And I'm not in that same sentence. You don't think so? No, no. Not by anybody who read uh, Sinclair Lewis. Mm-hmm. Sinclair Lewis was a very, uh, a very sharp satirist. And, his, and Aerosmith, Dodsworth, Main Street, I think, is, is a pretty good book, but... Uh, I think that Dodsworth and one other that I can't remember. And Fitzgerald, you know, was a classic story of, of upward striving and uh, what, a, what a difficult, sad, difficult life. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I wanted to name the, the World Theater in St. Paul, the Fitzgerald Theater, and back in... In uh, 96, we celebrated his centenary and put up that statue in the park downtown. Mm -hmm. But I have very mixed feelings about him. And uh, Hemingway was a much better writer. Mm -hmm. Much better. What was the fault of Fitzgerald's writing? I think that he was trying too hard to get away from the Midwest, and uh, and I think that he uh, he was sashaying around Paris and 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 New York, and uh, and he was trying to be somebody he was not. Your name will probably be on a plaque of some house in St. Paul, as his is that you once lived there. I don't think so. I lived in too many houses. Okay, there'd be too many plaques. Mm-hmm. I don't see a reason to. Did the cast of the show in its heyday gather at your house? Was it an ongoing collaboration, or was it, I'll see you next week? Uh, Occasionally, especially at that big house, the Warehouser, uh, which was really made for social events. It had the largest living room in St. Paul. It had... Uh, screened porch off it, you could walk out the door of the living room and up to a stone wall that looked down onto the river. It was mm-hmm. perfect for mm-hmm. a party. It allowed you could you could easily have easily have seventy five a hundred people mm-hmm. in there, and they could go off in separate directions. The piano was there. Somebody would sit down at the piano and play. It was absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. My own inclination, uh, left to myself, uh, would be to come home and close the door and and brood. Right. But uh, but my wife thought that having a party was the decent thing to do, and my daughter, as she grew up, loved loved. The parties. She she loved being backstage at the show, and uh, and and so you know for the benefit of others. But you're no longer brooding. No, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I I I do a, a useful work, walking out on a stage, expecting to spend two hours, which is a long time, one person. Mm-hmm. No scenery, 
no costume changes, and, uh, and you're out on stage, I want to talk about being old, and uh, I want to run through a long song which combines love lyrics with old jokes, mm-hmm. and they're all in the same form, which people like. I like to recite poems, uh, maybe one or two of my own, but but uh, a couple of Shakespeare sonnets, E.E. E. Cummings, uh, Mary Oliver, so that people can hear poems that you understand from hearing them. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no mystery about them. Mary Oliver was a fabulous poet, troubled life fabulous poet, observational, nothing about her own grief or difficulties. Mm-hmm. She, she admired, admired uh, na- natural life, creatures, creatures and, and, uh, and, and uh, rural, rural scenes. And uh, I, I like to recite poems just as a natural thing. And then I go into doing the, the, the Lake Wobegon business. How many shows will you do this year? I would guess, I mean, this seventy, this last year? Well, 2024, let's make it. I'll bet that I will do, I think, 70. Oh, really? I think so. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. That's a hell of a schedule for an it's old man. It's very doable. Yeah. It's very doable. It's a good exercise. Well, and you don't exercise, so that's your exercise. No. But I love doing it because... When you're sitting down and writing, you can fool yourself. But when you walk out on stage and there are a thousand people there, they have expectations, you are now engaged with reality. Mm -hmm. This is reality. And I like dealing with that. Will, uh, Will you be doing a show in the Twin Cities? I hope so. I'm sure I will. I'm sure I will. I'd like to come back and do one in St. Paul. I don't want to go to the Fitzgerald Theater, but I, but I, you know, I go any place else. Would that give you a bad vibe to go to the Fitzgerald Theater? I just don't want to go there. Okay. I just don't. Well, I, I hope you do come back and do a show in St. Paul. Oh, sure I will. Yeah. Sure I will. Well, there's plenty of other venues that would fit that. Joe's yeah. house. You could go to Joe's house. No, big enough. No, not as big as the... <laughs> The warehouser. What uh, Rookie has told us many times about his uh, grandfather, yeah. Red Maddox. Yeah. And you knew Red. He was the drummer in the band early right. early on. Yeah. And he was a good drummer. Terrific drummer. Yeah. None better. Yeah. Thank you. Rook uh, does not have any of that talent. <laughs> I, that surpassed me. That did in, surpass me. In any way, shape, or form. Uh-huh. He was always very good to both of my grandparents, Grandma Teresa, too. Took him over to Europe on your tour. That was in 80, I don't remember when that was, but I remember the album that you guys put out. Uh-huh. uh-huh. But uh, Mr. Keeler had the line of the year when he uh, eulogized uh, my grandpa, and he said it pleased listeners that's so, it pleased listeners that so many listeners thought he was black. It pleased Red Maddox. It pleased Red Maddox. That's, That's so, so many. You're misquoting me. Dang it. 
It I had one check. read that so many listeners thought he was black. He sang uh, in kind of a satchmo growl. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he, but he was just the most joyful singer. And, and even when he didn't sing, he looked so happy back there by the drums. Maybe that's where you get it, Rook. Yeah, yeah but Rook's I can't, pretty happy. I can't take my teeth out and no. twiddle the drumsticks like he could. Yeah. yeah. And Butch, we lost Butch Thompson. Yes. He was a hell of a piano player. He was great. He kept on, he kept on playing even when he could not remember, remember how the, how the song went. He would start it and then it would come back to him. He was amazing. Yes. Did you know a picker named Pat Donahue? He's a wonderful picker. Mm-hmm. He's still uh, he's still working. He still mm-hmm. has a steady gig where a bar in in Midtown, right? I think so. Yeah, but but he was on your show, wasn't he? Oh, he was on all the time. Right. Yeah. Well, why do you ask, Joe? He's my cousin. No. Oh, oh yeah, Pat Donahue. It's funny he didn't bring that up. Well, he probably didn't yeah. want to admit it. <laughs> you know, embarrassment. <laughs> Garrison, when you were in Freeport, did you spend a lot of time sitting in Charlie's Cafe? Charlie's Cafe was the model for the for for uh, the Chatterbox Cafe. Oh, and Charlie's, good. I believe, is still there. I don't know. Yeah, it is. Yeah, if there's a Charlie, but uh, no, I I I went in there regularly. Yeah, cool. I live um, about twenty minutes west of Alexandria. Mm-hmm. So everything you say about uh, the prairie home, or the excuse me, um, about the town, really rings true. Except it's way better than it actually is. Hmm. We would strive to be um, to live up to what you describe. Hmm. We're a lot more angrier, I think. Hmm. But we do children, have aren't the, all the children somewhat above average? Isn't that how <laughs> that goes? Where did Jack's auto repair come from? Oh, I just I know nothing about know nothing about cars, yeah. and so I I thought I should toss that in. But the commercials had nothing to do with automotives. It it uh, it was all about Jack Jack himself, who was sort of a curmudgeon, mm-hmm. and uh, no, that was all that was all that was. Do we even need to own a car in New York? My wife owns a car, mm-hmm. and we live in a in a uh, co-op that has a garage in the basement. So, so that makes it that makes it easy. She, her family had a summer house up in Connecticut, and she loves this old house, and she's gradually restoring it. So. Regularly, uh, she jumps in the car. I do not drive anymore because I have double vision, mm-hmm. and and uh, we take the trip up uh, up the Merrick Parkway and and sit in this little house out in the country. Do you? Uh, uh, I was going to say you don't keep a car here. Obviously, you don't need one here. You don't. No. You don't drive anymore. No. 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 Uh, are you going back today? I'm going to fly back um, tomorrow. I miss uh, I miss my church, and mm-hmm. uh, so I'm going to go to church tomorrow with uh, a Danish uh, friend, uh, Brian Brian Christensen, who uh, came to America when I was married to a Dane, and he 
loved Elvis. He loved Elvis, and he wanted to become a singer. And uh, he tried that for a while. Uh, he does a very good Elvis impression, <laughs> but uh, about four or five years ago, he decided he wanted to become a minister in the Danish Lutheran Church, and he'd had some theology. So now he's a pastor of a church in the island of Erol, Erol mm-hmm. which is unpronounceable by it Americans. Is. Right. <laughs> it's an A-E-R-O-U. And Erol. That's close. Good enough. He's coming over, and so we'll probably sing, sit around and sing his favorite songs, Can't Help Falling in Love with You. Wise men say, yeah. only Elvis fools songs. rush in. Yeah. Who do you like to read? I don't read as much as I as I used to. Uh, my wife uh, gives me the news in the morning. She looks at the Times and she tells me what she thinks I need to know. I don't. I don't read all that all that much. I don't know why. I should. I'm a writer. Why don't I? I don't know. I don't know. No. What about your your podcast? Do you enjoy that? Does that bring you satisfaction? I wasn't aware that I did one. <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. Uh, Hold on. Let me I? go. Kenny's doing his research. According so, to the website, huh? Garrison Keeler's podcast. Really? Well, find the new else does it for you. <laughs> find well, the I new weekly it. Garrison Keeler podcast on Substack, iHeart, Apple, and Spotify. He's got minions. I hope whoever is uh, whoever is putting it out is earning some money. From it. <laughs> well, I hope the money's going into your account. I mean, I'm on GarrisonKeeler.com. I have just one question about your religious upbringing. I think uh, mine was similar to yours. Were you, uh, as a youth, we were encouraged to pray for our Catholic friends. Did, did you ever hear anything like that in your church or from the church ladies? I thought you were Polish. <laughs> that's Matthew. That's me. That's me. Oh, well, that's you. Yeah. <laughs> that's Matthew. This is the traffic guy. Uh, I'm okay. Swedish. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, no, I don't think we did pray for them. What did we pray for? I don't know. We we felt um, we felt contrition at all times. Our lives yep. were lives of contrition. Yep. Um, it wasn't a joyful bunch of people no 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 it was very there were long silences and i as i recall we spent more time in the old testament prophets than we did in the gospels so that so that uh you know the message of the gospel to to love thy neighbor as thyself uh was kind of lost on us and instead we were fascinated with dire predictions yes. of horrors to come. Yes, yes. So. Did you experience guilt? That's fame. The Catholics are famous for their guilt. I can I can outdo any Catholic okay. in right. guilt. Right. I feel the same. Right. Absolutely. No, no. They 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 get remission. We don't. Yeah. Well, we have confession. Yeah. It cleans the whole slate. You start Good. over. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It just piles up with us and just gets worse and worse. <laughs> yeah. 
You know, you mentioned Red. We have to play the famous Red quote. Oh, yeah. Is it true that you're the funniest comedian in the world? I am the funniest guy in the country. Really? Tell me, what's the secret Diamond. of success? <laughs> what a nut. <sighs> Chet Atkins said nobody kept time better than Red. Do you believe that? It depends on what you mean by kept time. Uh, no, he was a great drummer. He was a great drummer. He was a very joyful, very joyful drummer. I don't think he ever had an, had an ear for rock and roll. Um, but he would have tried, you know. I think when Elvis was out, I recall my mom saying that, oh, the Beatles and Elvis, he, was, he, would, he would toss them aside. That's not real music. There's the oh. Dixieland or jazz or whatever it was. I don't know. He was, I never talked to him about music. <laughs> I was too young. The Beatles and Elvis have lasted. And uh, if I step out in front of an audience and I start them, uh, we do this sing-along for an intermission at my show. And if I start them singing, uh, well, she was just 17, if you know what I mean, mm -hmm. they're all there. Mm -hmm. That song has now lasted at least in the minds of many people. They know the words. They know the words to uh, in my life. There are places I remember all my life, though some have changed, some for better, you know, some. And, and they know the words. And uh, Elvis, Elvis continues to live on. Why do you think you lasted so long? You put that in the past tense, Joe. <laughs> Why are you still lasting? <laughs> Uh, it's very hard to do in radio. I'm persistent. Mm -hmm. I'm persistent, and uh, and I'm slow to recognize defeat. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and I'm having a I'm having a good time. Did America need you when you came along? Were they looking for that? America didn't tell me that they All needed right. me. All right. uh, I don't. I don't think so. It's just you know. But we the needed picks up a bad habit every so often. We needed your Sunday night program. Uh -huh. We all did, oh. and it was just amazing to tune in from tune into that on us. Usually, um, in my case, I was on the road returning to the Twin Cities, and that show was a part of my life every Sunday, and it was amazing and delightful. This makes me worry about what the rest of your life was like. <laughs> You don't want to know. Yeah. You don't want to know. <laughs> well, it, it, musically, it was punk rock. It was uh, album rock. It, you know, KQRS. It was old country. Uh -huh. um, but Prairie brought everything together, and it was just uh, musically delightful. And, of course, like Wobegon, I mean, you know, that was my life, too. Well, then why wasn't I more delighted doing it? <laughs> That's uh, that. I'm stunned. I wish I knew the answer. Why yeah. weren't you? Yeah. I need therapy. Well, you just you told me at the beginning you don't want anything to do with it. Well, I didn't at the beginning. <laughs> now well, you need it. Now, look what we've this done, is, Joe. We've dragged it out of you. You now need therapy. Okay. Dang it. All right. You know, Joe often brings up worry, direction yes. we're headed, country, whatever. Yeah. Are there things that worry you? Yeah. So we have avoided the subject of politics, I noticed. I think he just asked you. What worries you right now about this country? I worry about what we're uh, leaving to our kids. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
I think that we were a very fortunate uh, generation. Um, some people my age uh, went down in Vietnam, a terrible, terrible way to die. Um, some people had a rough time with drugs, alcohol. But by and large, I think we were very, very fortunate. But I worry about, um, about the glaciers melting. I worry about uh, the condition of the, of the ocean warming and uh, climate change, especially since a major American political party denies that this exists. Myself included. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. If the, if the oceans are, are melting, why did Obama uh, settle on two oceanfront estates, I wonder? He's got one in Martha's Vineyard and one in Hawaii. I was just curious. I don't, I don't want to get into an argument about it because yeah. I respect you. Yeah. It was going so Plus, well. Plus, you get your news from your wife, what you said, who tells you what you should know. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> no, she finds, she finds items that are more about humans than about issues. And um, just people are endlessly fascinating to my, to my wife. And um, as I get older, I'm drawing on her more and more often for material. Mm-hmm. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. No, no. no. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your visit here. It I, sounds like we're coming to an end. We don't have to. <laughs> did, you enjoy, did you enjoy the reunion? No. Oh. No, I did not. Why? I felt bad for some of my classmates, and um, they seemed a little bit lost and a little bit weary. And that resolved me on the idea of working until I just absolutely cannot. Mm -hmm. And when you're a writer, there's no reason to stop. Right. So I feel very fortunate about that. Robert Altman never wanted to retire. He was going to die with his boots on, and he did. He was uh, in the process of pre-production on a movie when he died. He was a very sick man when he directed that Prairie Home Companion movie. Mm -hmm. But my God, he loved he loved his his work. It was just inspiring to watch him. Chet Atkins wanted to work until finally a big stroke hit him, and he couldn't play anymore. I went down to see him, and I was just he didn't want to be seen. The way he was, sitting there hunched over with a guitar in his lap that he could not play. Were you close to, did you remain close to some of your classmates? Some of them, yes, yes. We get together and we have, we have lunch and, um, and uh, no, I, I, I like to uh, talk to them. But some of the, some of the ones uh, that I was closest to uh, perished. And I, I could just cannot get them out of my, out of my mind. One of my best friends uh, committed suicide when mm -hmm. she was 44, mm. and I just I can never forget Corinne. It sounds to me like you saw some sadness at the reunion. Well, I think I think that it's a delicate age, and it 
affect people in, a, in different ways, but I could not m make myself stand up in front of that group and talk about the joy of getting old. Mm -hmm. It just didn't seem to be the message they wanted to hear. Right. Well, I hope you have another reunion. What number was this? This would have, I graduated in uh, 1960, so this would have been uh, 63. 63 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. You're almost old. Well, it's in sight, <laughs> yes. It's not the end of the world, but you can see it from here. <laughs> well, but, you're in good health thanks to that catching that heart surgery that didn't spare your uncles. Yes, exactly, exactly. Medicare paid for all of it. Mm -hmm. You know, the government has been very generous to me. Um, well, with the taxes you've paid, you've been very generous to the government. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't have to uh, value, evaluate my, my personal property holdings, mm -hmm. you know. I had somebody else do it, right. an appraiser. Right. So... I did probably pay more taxes than... Uh, I take it you'll be following the twins now over the weekend in Houston. I can't wait to get back to New York so I can watch them on TV. Oh, right. Okay, full disclosure. Yeah. I jokingly said, Joe, you should ask him about the Twins-Houston matchup. And he said, don't be a dummy. And I said, and here we are. I didn't know Garrison was a baseball I fan. I knew he was a baseball fan. Yeah. Yeah. Baseball is uh, part of the basis of my sense of order mm -hmm. in the world. And... Uh, I was so glad when they made the rule change that that uh, the the time clock on the pitcher the pitch clock. Something? was a beautiful change. Isn't that something? It's, it's just amazing. amazing. What about replay? How do you feel about that? I, 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 of course, I love it. You want okay. robotic umpires? I I don't uh, <clears throat> I don't take a position on it, but <clears throat> pardon me. Uh, you're mentioning umpires. I get choked up. Uh, <laughs> so did Earl Weaver. I've heard people tell me that the number of bad calls is really astonishing. Well, there's a famous home plate umpire who's not gaining any fans. Who am I thinking of, Reavers? Uh, Angel Hernandez. Angel Hernandez, who has made some terrible uh -huh. mistakes. Oh, oh. But the Twins are fun. The crowds seem to be very, very motivated over the yeah, last yeah. two days. Yeah, yeah. But I'm an old man, so I, you know, I can't forget um, things I saw at the ballpark that I doubt anybody will see again. To see Rod Carew hit a double, steal third, and take a long lead on third, and the crowd knew he was going to do it. Mm -hmm. They knew he was going <laughs> to do it. Mm -hmm. And after, I think, two pitches, he did it. I saw Carew swing twice while he was being intentionally walked. <laughs> Just to dare him to come back. Come on, come on in. <laughs> what about football? I don't understand uh, why people would sit and watch it. I just honestly don't. Ice hockey. I love hockey, but I, but I love... Uh, I think I like women's hockey. Better than, uh, better than varsity men's. Less violent. It is, but they're terrific skaters, mm -hmm. and uh, and um, but they can check, you know. Mm -hmm. I professional hockey, I don't care for at all. I don't. 
You're not a season ticket holder for the Rangers. Oh, please. Yeah. yeah. Please. Yeah. Or the Knicks, for that matter, I tell no, you. No, 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 no. We're not going to see you courtside at a Knicks game? I don't think you'll ever see me at a Knicks game. But uh, more importantly than that, you will never see me at Yankee Stadium. Oh, okay. Why is that? Strong words. Yes, they are. Yeah. <laughs> I went once, and that was enough. Okay. There's a, there's a sense of um, privilege and um, a lot of very angry men in black <laughs> who, um, you know, feel entitled mm -hmm. to, to the game. You didn't wear a Boston hat to the game, did you? Because then they would have been all over you. No, I don't think so. No, okay. but you nailed it. And, I, and I'm going to, seriously, he, you absolutely nailed it. I went to Yankee Stadium. This was the old one, yeah. 2009, with my wife. Right. And it was as if we were infringing upon them. Yes. I've been around the game my entire life, and I thought, well, I'm just here to watch a baseball game. But it was, well, we're better than you. Yeah. It was a sense of you're less than. Yeah. And I'm just sitting here watching a baseball game with my wife. Yeah. Yeah. Harrison, do you have a favorite club where you would go see music in uh, New York, maybe something in the Village or, or the like? I, I, um, I accompany my wife uh, to the opera, and um, I accompany her to Carnegie Hall. If there's an orchestra playing Brahms, uh, she becomes very emotional, and she needs... Somebody to put their arm around her. And I, support. I want to be that man. That, that's awesome. That's great. That's probably every, best. Every so often we go to a go to a jazz club, but we go to hear old jazz. Red Maddock would have loved uh, Vince Giordano and the Nighthawks, fifteen-piece band playing uh, music from the twenties and thirties, and it, and it's very rock'em sock'em music. They, they pack people in tightly so that they cannot dance and hurt each other. And, uh, but it's a great, it's great. But he's going to be on the show that I do at Town Hall on December 9th. Do you have favorite restaurants? I try to stay away from restaurants, mm -hmm. but I love the St. Paul Grill. Mm -hmm. Well, your picture's on the wall. Well, I don't, I don't know. I didn't look for yeah, that. Yeah, much younger Garrison. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a very classy, very classy place. Mm -hmm. And uh, they take an elderly person, they, <laughs> they take back to those booths, those small booths right. in the back by the kitchen. Right. And I love sitting back by the kitchen and I can hear the conversations of the cooks. Mm -hmm. Did your wife join you on this trip? No, she, uh, she had business to do. She... Uh, she was uh, guiding some friends from Portugal around, uh, around New York City. She walked for 11 miles wow. and uh, took them to all of the sites, and they went up to the top of the rock, and mm -hmm. uh, their English uh, was a little ragged when they, when they arrived, and it got better and better. Mm -hmm. And uh, so she did, her, she did her good turn. Who enjoys New York more, you or your wife? My wife, for sure. She's, okay. uh, she's a great observer of people. She loves to go out and walk and listen to people and look at, look at people. The people are endlessly fascinating to her. 
I am a monk compared to her. Mm-hmm. She, uh, she looks at everybody. Crazy people, as long as they're not threatening, mm-hmm. are interesting. Is the city in disrepair? No. Oh. No, no. The city is holding up very, very well. And uh, I worry about, about Minneapolis uh, because the streets are empty downtown. Mm-hmm. And I just don't see how that should be. Mm-hmm. But in New York, you go outside and there's a crowd. Yep. People, people on the sidewalks. And as a result, when the old man trips and falls, mm-hmm. which I have done twice mm-hmm. in New York, there are four people there within five seconds Wonderful. to help you up. Did you tell him about the, uh, the tailor in New York? Oh, there was a terrible accident in the garment district. Oh. And a fellow went down onto the pavement, and another fellow came up to him and put his suit coat under his head to make him, and he said, are you comfortable? And the yeah. guy said, I make a nice living. <laughs> you can you can use that one. <laughs> okay, Garrison, you have that. to you have to tell your joke. Um, I think it's yours anyway. I just read it this morning about the fellow walking by the institute uh, institution, the hospital, and everybody inside behind the wood fence. I think they're shouting out twenty one, twenty one. Yeah, and he was curious. They sounded like they were having a good time, and. Uh, and he walked up and put his eye to a hole in the fence, and they poked him in the eye with a sharp stick and yelled, 22, 22. <laughs> I've heard that before, but it's still funny every time. I, I couldn't yeah. keep it together <laughs> while you were saying it. It's a cruel joke. Oh, it is, but it's, it's so it's funny. Cruel, so funny. Yeah. Tough to write a joke. As uh, concisely as possible. Yeah. You don't want any excess words. That kills that kills a joke. Yeah, I've had friends where when they start to tell a joke, we just put the clock on them because we know it's going <laughs> to yeah. take too long. There was a man named Scraggs, bought two dozen condoms a week. The drugstore clerk was quiet for months, but finally she had to speak. She said, what are you doing with all those condoms? It's simple, said Mr. Scraggs. I feed them to my poodle. Now she poops in plastic bags. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> now, in the English department, uh, we English majors were taught to admire T.S. Eliot and, uh, and to think of great literature as being allegorical and mysterious and uh, an endless puzzle. But uh, you go back and you read Chaucer... And you find it has to do with, uh, you know, with poop and pee and right. <laughs> yeah, it's like Small me and my eight-year-old, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What a joy you are! I had no. Uh, What'd you guys wait for so long? I don't know the, why we waited so long to meet each other. You're the first person to ever tell me that. Well, <laughs> I'm waiting for a woman to tell me that. Well, you're. <laughs> uh, I thank you very much. It was my great pleasure, Joe. I'm a big fan of your writing, and I hope you um, uphold the tradition. And I hope that um, I hope that somewhere um, 
there are young people reading you uh, who decide to take this up and write columns and not to be pundits mm-hmm. and um, and you know forget about forget about public issues which uh, so quickly become uh, yesterday's news and write about people if i liked people more you know i'd write more about people right. but well you you're glad you're, you're holding it up well i upon your counsel i'll make sure i write more about people well i think that's the that's the whole thing there's there's you know there's a lot to mourn over in in the world today and uh you know we can all easily do that but uh but I think uh, I think the column needs to uh, needs to bring hope and some measure of cheer to people. There's enough enough people bemoaning. I also uh, will take a page from your book, and I, I don't want to stop either. Oh, good, good, yeah, yeah. good. No, don't, don't. Garrison Keeler, it's been a real pleasure. I hope we do it again. All right, let's do it. All right, thank you, sir. All right, we'll talk about opera next time. All right. All right. I know nothing about opera. Hey, everybody, it's John here, and I want to tell you how you can eat stress-free this spring with Factors, delicious, ready-to-eat meals. You can get their fresh, never-frozen, chef-crafted, dietitian approved meals ready to eat in just two minutes, Weekly menu of 35 options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. And they use premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus for the no-fuss meals. And get rid of the hassle of prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Just heat and serve. My favorite, the jalapeno lime cheddar chicken. Customize your weekly meals to get as much or as little as you need. And you can pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Head to Factormeals.com slash GarageLogic50 and use code GarageLogic50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code GarageLogic50 at factormeals.com slash garagelogic50. You get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Earlier this week, uh, Garrison Keeler arrived in town to uh, attend his high school reunion at Anoka. And Rookie saw him at the airport. And being Rookie, he said, would you like to come on the show? Well, first he said, hi, I'm the Rookie. I'm the Rookie. But, you know, he probably said, hi, I'm Red Maddox. Grandson, oh, right, yeah. and of course that that melts all all of Keeler's nerves. So obviously they could talk, and and Rookie said it would, we'd love to have you on the show. So they, so thank God, Rookie did that, and then he he said, okay, here's my number. I'll be in town all week. Call me, which is fantastic. Why in the hell did this take forty years? I blame you. I guess so. Our I, preconceived notions were completely wrong. Completely shattered. Yep. 
And I don't think there's anything phony about the guy. What was the no, most surprising thing you learned in spending an hour and 20 minutes with Garrison Keillor in studio? His sense of humor, and if you read some of his, his recent stuff, is a little twisted like ours. Oh, yeah. it's always o- been twisted. He puts a highbrow spin right. on the twisted humor, and it's just wonderful. What about you? Uh, did he get a ride, Rook? We are back. We're we back. back. We're on, on the, the air, show. but Rook was on waiting with Garrison out in the front to see if his ride showed up. He's going to have lunch with somebody, yes. a friend of his. Uh, the ride is not there, and he has a different phone number. Uh, for the his ride, which he lost, so he's out there flipping through old texts. And I said, "I'm not leaving you here." He's like, "Go, go, you're fine." It was, was he like that? Something similar. So yeah. Joe has a task after the show. I was just commending you for getting. You met him at the airport, and you said, "Would you like to come yeah. on the show?" And much to our surprise, he agreed. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I sh- I have to get over this surprise part. We debated your opening line. How did you approach him? What did you say? To open the conversation, Matthew. He was just, he was walking down on the arrivals level uh, right in front of the caribou, and I recognized him right away. He was just walking by himself, no entourage. And you said? And I said, hello, Mr. Keeler. And I always introduce myself. I mean, I've met him over the years how many times? I always introduce myself as Red Maddox Grandson. <laughs> told you. I told you he did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, and that usually breaks the ice where he can put me into... Okay, it's a show and red and and he was nothing but pleasant. His hand immediately came out, no knucks. It was a handshake, and uh, he said, "How are you?" And I said, "I'm doing fine." But would you do me a favor? Uh, I also work on Garage Logic, and Joe would love to have you on the show, and has been trying for years. And he said, "I'd love to come on." So it's just I don't know why he didn't get the. He was. He didn't say no. He said, "I'd love to." Yeah, I'm here all week. He said. Okay, and you asked me what most surprised me? Yeah. That. That rookie got him on? No, that he was just uh, friendly. I was most surprised at his reaction to when you asked him about him doing Prairie Home Companion. Mm-hmm. Now, that, that I found very surprising. Given the fact that he did it for 40 years, Yep, I found that really surprising. He quizzed me all the way down the hallway. How long has uh, the show been on? 30 years. Oh, Wow. He knew about you and Royce with Sports Talk. Yeah. He said, yeah, I, I've, I'm very familiar with that show, you know, over the years. and uh, But sometimes you can get the Garrison Keeler that's a little disengaged. Because I've introduced myself before, and it, it wasn't uh, he wasn't as welcoming. Not mean, he just wasn't as welcoming. Well, I think he's settling into a comfortable groove yeah. at his age. Yeah, he so, seems to be in a really good spot. Are you comfortable? I make, make a, a nice living. Now, if I go out there when I leave and he's still there, I'm going to be worried. And I'll give him a ride to wherever he wants to go. Oh, not in your rig. Yeah, hop you, in the old Honda. Is that what you got hop today? In the Honda, yeah. Don't mind all these flashing yeah, lights and leaking the, oil. Uh, the brake lights. Every the idiot light in the car will be on. <laughs> the maintenance. <laughs> I have but right he now. won't notice because he's not a car guy. True. We should give Shay a quick call. Yeah. Here, can you hold yeah. this? Here's the drip pan. The maintenance light is on. <laughs> the engine, you know, the one with the picture of the engine, that's on. He'll get out and his foot is covered in antifreeze. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Why does it smell like syrup in here? 
<laughs> Only because they come to us all the way from Marcel, Minnesota, from wow. the Traveling Linemans. It was on this day in 1860. Joe, today is October 6th. Joseph R. Brown's steam wagon, a horseless carriage that debuted in Henderson on July 4, was permanently mired near Three Mile Creek en route to Fort Ridgely. Brown built another tractor in 1862, but he died before per- perfecting it. On this day in 1929, 10.06, St. Paul City architect Frank X. Tews died in St. Paul. His last project was the Spanish Mission Revival-style Newell Park Pavilion in St. Paul's Hamlin Midway neighborhood. Charles A. Bassford replaced him as the city's architect and finished his work on the pavilion in 1930. And finally, on this day in 1972... What happened? I'm just getting emails from the security team as to where Rookie left our guest. Where'd you leave him? You left him in the freaking vestibule. Right in the vestibule. He got a bench Can't chair. you put him in a nice chair? He'd refused. He, he, he did refuse. <laughs> uh, they recognize who he is, right? They're not going to call the 911. No, Alice knows, and I think. Um, well, Alice wouldn't, Alice wouldn't do that to him, but what are you doing? No, she told him to. should have parked him upstairs. No. He, Finally, on this day in Jenny's office, October 1972. Yeah, what happened? Jim Griffin, James Griffin, became the first black deputy chief of police in St. Paul. Matthew, go back out there. Oh my God! I go was, back. I was told directly by him to to leave him alone, and I'm I'm gonna I'll I'm go gonna honor that. No, you don't have to. It's well, we can't leave the <clears> guy hanging. Hey, you know what else happened in this day in 1968? What? You were born. A no Michelle way, Claire Christmas. Keeger was born. We don't oh. do birthdays, but um, happy special day, hon. I love oh, you. for Pete's sake. <laughs> goodbye. No, Thank she you. She doesn't listen. She'll never hear this. All for right, Goodbye. Goodbye. But she does subscribe to Garage Logic on YouTube. So should you. Don't be left out in the cold. Go to the YouTube page of Garage Logic and subscribe. Hitting up GarageLogic.com means you're going to become a member of the town council. Ten bucks a month, hundred bucks a year. It's cheap entertainment. You get pre, during, and post show content. Plus access to the stream. I've a couple of people at the airport today that listen to the stream and they love it. Matthew. So GarageLogic.com. I have a surveillance. I I have a Garrison Keeler poem. Yes. Gloom is like carbuncles. Yours is the same as your uncle's. Whereas the hilarious is wildly various, like the wildlife found in the jungles. And it kind of rhymed. Well nice done, work. soul man. Well done. Party on, Chas. Chas. I'm going to go 